This is Polar Geopolitics, a podcast analyzing the global and regional implications of rapid environmental change and rising international interest in the Arctic and Antarctica. Hi, this is Eric Bagley in Stockholm. This is episode 15 of the Polar Geopolitics podcast. And uh, I'm not going to do a lot of uh, production, post-production work on this. I'm going to basically put this up as soon as possible with uh, very little, if any, editing. Because of the uh, very timely nature of the discussion here today, the the most unexpected Arctic story of the year, I think it's safe to say that. And uh, uh, I'm not exactly sure how to, um, how to uh, interpret it, how to understand it. That's why I've uh, lined up some, some real uh, premium guests to help make sense of this Trump and Greenland story that uh, broke a couple of days ago and just seems to keep on getting bigger bigger and bigger, as things tend to do uh, with uh, Trump and uh, the uh, the administration in the United States. So uh, on the phone line now, I have uh, from Copenhagen, Denmark, John Robeck Clemenson, who uh, has been featured in uh, earlier episodes of this podcast, episodes three and four, where he uh, provided some expert uh, analysis of uh, things happening between uh, Denmark and Greenland, a foremost uh, authority on, on those topics. And uh, when I heard this story, Break a couple of days ago in the Wall Street Journal, uh, John was the first person I thought of. I said, I got to talk to John and uh, do an episode of the podcast on the Trump interest in buying Greenland story, which uh, we're recording this podcast now in the afternoon of, um, what's today's date, the 21st of August. Just this morning, found out that uh, Trump has canceled uh, the state visit to uh, to Denmark. So this is a developing story. So uh, we're going to try to get this up as soon as possible. So, John, great to have you uh, back here on the podcast. Thanks for taking the time in your busy schedule to uh, to join us here on uh, Polar Geopolitics. Well, glad to, glad to join you. John, you're, a, you're a, uh, an associate professor, is that correct, at the uh, Royal Danish Defense College? That is spot on. Okay. Well, very happy to have you and your, your analysis of uh, the geopolitics of the Arctic and specifically uh, Denmark and Greenland, but also the United States. Uh, you did uh, research on the U.S.-Greenland uh, dimension uh, relationship uh, before, which I'm sure will come in handy in this uh, discussion. First, John, just to um, kind of set the, the, the context, we're not going to go into a lot of the background. I think the people listening to this podcast and pretty much everybody else has heard about this uh, Trump wanting to buy Greenland story. Overarchingly, what, um, how serious should we take this? Is this something to be amused by, to be upset about, or is this turning into a full-blown diplomatic crisis between the United States and, and Denmark and Greenland? I would say that it's been a, a diplomatic mini-crisis. And obviously, the idea that, that, uh, that the U.S. could buy Greenland is, is absurd. So the whole premise of, of the discussion is absurd because Greenland isn't Denmark's to sell. Greenland is defined as in, in Danish law as as, as an, uh, an ind- independent uh, people with the right to uh, to self determination. So in that sense, the the question about where where or to which country uh, Greenland is supposed to belong uh, is, is is up to the Greenlanders. Uh, so so we're not talking about a uh, a big a big real estate deal, as the president put it. But so, so, so the way that Trump has framed the discussion is uh, is absurd, and it derails diplomacy between Denmark, Greenland, and uh, the U.S. But there's a further perspective on this as well, that which goes to the reason why we're now seeing this American interest in Greenland, and here. We, we we see that that the U.S. has been has become uh, a lot more interested in Greenland over the last year year and a half. 
due to uh, both Chinese and Russian uh, encroachments, I would say. And that has forced the Americans to have a much more a much more bullish approach to their Greenland uh, their, their diplomacy vis-a-vis Greenland and Denmark. And basically, what we've seen is we've seen a big uh, American charm offensive over the past year, where the U.S. has tried to has tried to show the Greenlanders that they can benefit in a variety of ways by forging a closer bond with Washington. So, the, but the whole discussion about the U.S. buying Greenland then comes in and derails that charm offensive. And the big question, as I see it right now, is how the more constructive debates will resume between the three countries and what things will be put on the table and what potential deals that can be reached. So you think there there's, there's processes ongoing behind the scenes, so to speak, that are not play, taking place on Twitter and in other public forums. There is some sort of real engagement that's maybe certainly almost uh, does not involve the the buying of Greenland, but other ways to deepen the relationship between the United States and Greenland with Denmark somehow brokering this. Is that how you would, you would frame this? Yeah, I think that's 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 more or less that's more or less spot on. That uh, I, there's, I think there's been a dialogue going on for for a long period of time between civil servants from the three countries. And I think that the dialogue is mainly between Greenland and uh, Denmark and the United States. So Denmark is not just a broker, but also a participant uh, in, in, in these discussions. And Denmark definitely has a voice and an opinion about how, uh, how things might uh, pan out. But of course, uh, it, it, Denmark also uh, has to take the Greenlandic perspective into account. So it's very much a three-way triangle. Right. Now, if Trump maybe has shown his cards a little bit here, maybe it was a, a leak, maybe this was intentional to bring it onto the public and to turn it some sort of public negotiation. I'm not exactly sure what his, his uh, tactics are here, if, if there is any. Um, but uh, what I mean, you mentioned what the three parties want out of this. What do you think Denmark and Greenland, respectively, uh, want out of this, this three-way uh, relationship? So Greenland primarily wants two things. Greenland wants political influence and to uh, be treated like a an, an as if they were an independent state. They want the prestige of being treated like an equal. And then furthermore, they want economic benefits, investments, initiatives that can somehow help diminish the economic dependency on Denmark and help develop Greenlandic society in a variety of ways. And one, one possibility that seems kind of obvious, is that until 2014, Greenland indirectly gained an economic bursary from the U.S. via the, the so-called service contract in Thule. But because of a bunch of diplomatic, uh, because of a bunch of diplomatic problems back in 2014, that system has broken down and has been broken down for almost five years. But so resumption of, of these indirect bursaries could be one thing that the Greenlanders want. Education exchanges could be another another possibility. Some sort of fund to invest in, in Greenland, more, more generally speaking, could be another possibility. Denmark, on the other hand, primarily wants the, the prestige of being a close U.S. ally 
and uh, I could imagine it's very possible that Denmark wants to use the Greenlandic question as a as the so-called Greenland card in NATO negotiations. So uh, as you as you may very may very well know. Uh, the U.S. is trying to pressure its, its European allies to spend more on defense, more specifically at least 2% of their GDP on defense. Uh, and Denmark is right now slated to reach 1.5% in 2023. But in those discussions, the Green Danish negotiators might be able to say, listen, okay, maybe we, we won't hit that 2% target, but we're delivering Greenland to you, the Americans, and that's perhaps worth something. So that's the Danish perspective, to become a, a closer ally and to use it in, in other negotiations. Right. I guess this will be the ultimate uh, way of monetizing uh, the Greenland card is by, by actually selling it. But you say that's completely out of the question. What, what's what's the, yeah. the, 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 um, the Greenlandic response to that? Do they feel insulted? Do they feel, is there any sort of level of, of interest in deepening the U.S. relationship? Or are they... Are they completely focused on complete independence from Denmark and not being part of any sort of U.S. Uh, territory or anything? Well, I think I think the immediate the immediate Greenlandic uh, reaction has been mainly uh, to be insulted. It's never it's never it's never very nice to be to be seen as a piece of property about which other other states discuss. But there's, I guess that maybe there's there's also been so at least some I've heard some people. Uh, being a little bit flattered <laughs> and seeing this as as, a, as almost a branding opportunity for Greenland because, I mean, obviously Greenland isn't the biggest place in the world. So so this at least turns the world's spotlight on, on Greenland. But more generally speaking, Greenland, the main raison d'etre in Greenlandic politics is independence. Uh, all but one party in the Greenlandic Parliament wants to become an independent state somehow. So they only just disagree about how to reach that goal. They don't disagree about the goal. And therefore, it, it, it's a little bit absurd to think that Greenland could just become an unincorporated territory in the U.S. or even the 51st state, because that, that would just be replacing one one dependency with another dependency. And at least, I mean... When you're when you're part of Denmark, at least you know that there's a pathway to uh, to uh, to independence. Uh, as, as you may know, the 2009 Self-Rule Act that governs the relationship between Denmark and Greenland basically outlines uh, the way in which Greenland can one day become independent. Whereas if if Greenland becomes part of the U.S., it's uh, it's hard to see how they could actually achieve that goal. Uh, of becoming independent one day. I mean, in some ways, you could you could argue that being part of the U.S. is kind of like Hotel California. Uh, you can check in, but you can never leave. So in that sense, it, I find it very hard to imagine that that Greenland would would find that to be a a better option. Now, this is this is a, something I, I'm, I'm certainly no expert on, but I'm wondering about the the drive uh, and desire for independence in Greenland. Of course, it, it's uh, it's. Um, most people want to have self-determination and, and all the rest. Uh, but I wonder how much of the, the, the desire for independence is based upon some sort of resentment towards Denmark because of the colonial legacy of two and a half centuries or more. So if, if it was not Denmark, it was another country that could, all, could offer 
a deal. I mean, it's a, a Trump type of term, mm-hmm. um, a, a better deal that doesn't have the baggage of the, of the colonial legacy that, that Denmark has vis-a-vis Greenland. Would, would Greenlandic policymakers and society find that appealing in any way, or are they just independence and that's, that's all that they can, they can uh, consider at this point? Uh, well, I think that, that you're of course, course right that there's some resentment against Denmark because of the colonial legacy. And actually, most of the resentment is about the so-called post-colonial period, that is the period after 1953, which is where most of the different scandals in, in the relationship have, uh, have, have occurred. But a lot of these scandals also involve the United States. Mm. <laughs> so there's definitely also resentment against the U.S., and I think at the same time, there's a recognition among many Greenlandic policymakers that even though they may not be the biggest fans of how Denmark have uh, have governed their uh, territory, Denmark is in many ways a very benevolent bigger brother that, as I said before, Denmark has created a regulatory scheme that basically gives them a roadmap to independence that they can just follow and has basically accepted that uh, they have a right to become independent. I mean, I don't know if 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 if, uh, if you look out at the history of of decolonization or deintegration of different states, it's not all always that the center has that a uh, has that attitude towards a a uh, a sub region. And at the same time, the within the Self Rule Act, the Revenues from, for instance, resource exploitation are divided between Denmark and Greenland in a way that's very beneficial to the Greenlanders, where basically, I mean, a little bit simplified, the Greenlanders more or less get half of the uh, of the revenues and the other half are just taken out of the annual um, bursary that they get from the Danish government. Uh, so they have a pretty good, sure. they have a pretty good deal already for in, in, they already have a pretty sweet deal uh, and again I would I couldn't imagine that that they would get as good a deal uh, if they were a part of the US I mean you can just look at, at at places like Guam or Puerto Rico to see territories that definitely do not get the best deal out of being part of the US how would you say John uh, that the this development would have uh, what impacts might it have on the Danish-Greenlandic relations? Could this perhaps bring Greenland and Denmark closer with the United States doing this in such a, such a clumsy fashion and Denmark saying oh, what seemed to be all the right things about Greenland and Greenland's self-determination? Could this actually be a, a, a benefit to the bilateral relation between Denmark and Greenland? Yeah, I think so. I think, I think this is a little bit of a wake-up call for a lot of people, both in, in Greenland and in Denmark. In Greenland, I think forces some people to think outside of the current situation. I think there's a little bit of a tendency in, in Danish-Greenlandic relations to see to just, for, for Greenlanders, to just see this as a, as a struggle for independence from Denmark and, and how, can you, how can you become as independent as possible within this framework. But this kind of forces people to think about, okay, but what are the alternatives? What are we, how are we going to run our little independent state once we, uh, we get it? How are we, we going to avoid becoming taken over by other, other states who, who might not have our best uh, interest at heart? There's, I think, uh, among some Greenlanders, there's a, um, there's a little bit of a feeling that, that, you know, 
geopolitics and uh, great power politics is something that concerns a lot of that concerns the rest of the world. That that Greenland can somehow become independent and then just check out of the club, and that an independent Greenland doesn't have to deal with China and Russia and the United States. And uh, I mean, I like to say that you might not be interested in uh, world politics, but world politics is definitely interested in you. Uh, so in that sense, I think that getting to think about what the consequences of being independent would actually be, that that's very healthy for the Greenlandic political class. And in Denmark, there's definitely it's been it's been a wake up call as well. Uh, I think that we've actually already seen the Danish uh, Ministry of Defense uh, announcing that it'll spend more of of its funds in the Arctic. So I, I don't know if you know this, but the, the Danish politicians allocated 1.5 billion Danish kroner. So that's like, how much is that? $250 million to defense expenditures earlier this year. And there's been a discussion about where, where we're going to use that money. Are we going to use it in the Middle East or in the Baltic Sea? But, uh, but the latest, the latest uh, announcements have, have been that they are going to be spent in the Arctic now. So in that sense, in that sense, it also pushes Denmark a little bit to take the Arctic and Greenland more seriously. So, so I think you're, you're quite right that that it will, at least in the short to medium term, uh, push Denmark and Greenland a little bit closer together. Well, let's take the long term then uh, view as well. I mean, what what is the long term? I guess there's so much uncertainty; it's hard to really uh, formulate a long term vision. Um, with all these investments that Denmark's making on an annual basis, plus other investments in mapping the continental shelf above Greenland, Denmark's putting in, for a small country, putting in quite a bit of money into, into, into Greenland and Greenlandic uh, interests. Uh, does, does Denmark just, how does Denmark, I think we talked a bit about this on the, on the previous uh, episodes you were on, uh, John, but um, how does Denmark see this as sort of a, maybe as a cost benefit or is it something they feel is just, it's sort of a, a, a duty for them to, 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 to take on to, to, to play this role as, as the as the uh, I don't know how do you say that the leading part of the kingdom of Denmark which consists of mm. Denmark Faroe Islands and, and Greenland well I think I mean I think I think the idea of it, it being a duty is a very good way of, of putting it that Greenland is definitely a economically a, a a somewhat of a drain on on funds i mean Denmark currently spends what is it roughly seven hundred u s dollars seven hundred million u s dollars a year on uh, on 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 propping up the uh, the greenlandic government and and uh, uh, helping up with the, helping out with different services so i think it it's it's very much seen as a as a duty at least by you know the Danish political elite. I think the broader Danish public doesn't really think about Greenland that, that much. I think a lot of people have become a little bit offended that uh, you know uh, that 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 uh, the U.S. president would talk about us that way, and and uh, maybe that's meant that uh, that Greenlandic issues gain a little bit more attention. But I, I, I think I mean I think that that. The Danes currently are are happy with the status quo, but they're also, I think, happy to to see Greenland gain uh, independence uh, one day. But that's the, that I think that's the important part, right? That Denmark doesn't. I mean, I think I think a lot of uh, obviously a lot of 
Danish politicians would be sad to see Greenland become independent. But at the same time, they accept that this is a decision that the Greenlanders have to make. And that's the, the whole nub of, of the whole debate we've had now, is that Trump frames this as if it's up to the Danes and the Americans to decide. But for the Danes, it's not that they don't want to, it's not that they want to keep Greenland for, for uh, it's not that they want to keep, uh, keep Greenland for any price. It's that they want to protect the Greenlanders' right to be the ones who make that decision. Well, let's put it this way. And if um, Just uh, counterfactual, hypothetical. Let's say that the Greenlanders thought, well, maybe it's not a bad idea to become part of the United States under the right circumstances to, you know, if they get the right deal, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, how would Denmark react then? Would Denmark say, okay, well, we'll, you, we'll, we'll let you go and, and become part of the United States? Would they expect compensation yeah. from the U.S.? Or how, how would that play out? I think, I think the, uh, the, I think you're more or less spot on. I think the, at least the bulk of the political, uh, of the political, uh, political class in Denmark would, would say, well, that's a question that the Greenlanders make. And if they want to, if they want to become, uh, the 51st American state, then that's, I mean, that's fine by us. And, and to some extent, they've already made that decision because they, they, They've created the, the so-called Self-Rule Act of uh, 2009, which basically does just that, gives the Greenlanders the right to make that decision. Well, how if I toss out a couple other hypothetical counterfactuals? Um, what if it was a different U.S. president? If it wasn't someone as notorious as Trump, let's say it was Obama or perhaps a Joe Biden or Elizabeth Warren or someone like that, would it play out differently? And another counterfactual, what if it was a different country? Let's say it was Canada, that the Greenland said that, uh, or Canada said that, uh, well, you know, we, we have a, a large Inuit population, uh, Greenland is an Inuit nation. Um, we think it would make so more sense to have uh, Greenland as part of Canada rather than an independent country of 56,000 people on a, on, a, on a vast territory. How how would those different scenarios play out to just, you know, for, for fun and hypothetical purposes, just for discussion? In, in Denmark or in Greenland? Well, I'd say... Uh, both and in that, yeah, let's say both. Well, I mean, to to take your first uh, your first scenario, uh, of course, it would it would help the American cause if it was a different president because the current president is very unpopular here. But I think the the overall nut of the Danish attitude would be the same. That for Denmark, this is a question that's up to the Greenlanders to decide, and if the Greenlanders make make that decision, then of course they can do more or less whatever they want. And I mean, hey, it would, uh, it would, it would free up uh, a, significant, uh, a significant amount of money for the Danish national budget. And I think at least some people would see that as a, as a benefit. And regarding Canada, it would probably, yeah, probably be the same thing. I mean, I don't think that it, it matters that much whether, whether it's the US or Canada, because it's, I mean, it's a question that the Greenlanders, is a decision for the Greenlanders. Uh, essentially, how, how would, and how would, uh, yeah, and regarding the, how the Greenlanders would view all of this, I don't, I don't think it would make that much of a difference whether it was, it was, it was uh, who the the U.S. president was who made this offer. I think it would be seen as a little bit condescending, if not a lot of, <laughs> if not really condescending. Uh, and I also think that, yeah, maybe maybe Gre- the Greenlanders would be more willing to be part of Canada than the U.S. If for no other reason, because the U.S. at least has a 
somewhat of a checkered past in Greenland, uh, having had a bunch of scandals during the Cold War where the U.S. and the Danes didn't always treat the Greenlanders in the nicest way. I mean, that's a legacy that Canada doesn't have. So I guess it would make a little bit of a difference. And and uh, just to wrap that up, I think it actually goes to a really interesting question about Greenlandic independence, which is what partner state would a Greenlandic state actually have? Because Greenland, uh, just in terms of population, doesn't have the manpower to run an independent state. So even if, if Greenland found oil, had all the money in the world, if it was a Qatar on the Arctic Circle, it would still need to partner up with some sort of external party that could provide the manpower to uh, to basically to run this, the Greenlandic state to make sure that there were enough civil servants to make sure that they had a coast guard that could uh, that could uh, patrol the Greenlandic waters, and there are many different options in that regard. I mean. Denmark would be the obvious uh, option, but the U.S. or Canada could could also be very realistic partners. Um, and I think that's one of the questions that Greenlandic policymakers and the Greenlandic public should be thinking about. What? How are we going to orient ourselves in the international sphere once we become independent? Uh, very interesting. Let's let's talk about a couple of other external actors. Perhaps uh, you mentioned China and Russia, both. Uh, uh, countries with uh, with very strong interests in the Arctic at this point, and uh, China in particular uh, showing a lot of attention uh, to Greenland prior to this. Uh, what do you think their reaction uh, behind the scenes is going to be about this uh, this gambit by Trump? Well, I mean, in the short short term, I think they will they will will see it for what it is a a big a diplomatic misstep by the Americans that a. That we that weaken their their uh, their relationship with Greenland, but I think they're also aware of the medium to long term as well. But this signifies that the U.S. has begun to take Greenland seriously after a period where almost nobody in Washington really cared about Greenland, and I think that they see that an enhanced American interest in Greenland will weaken their position on the island. Uh, if I was a a Chinese strategist, I would have seen Greenland as a potential weak point in the U.S. alliance uh, in the North Atlantic, and I would definitely target it as a, as a place to to sow the seeds where I could gain some influence that I could use maybe a, a, a decade or two into the future. And with the new newfound American interest in Greenland, perhaps the the door is closing for for that approach. So how do you think this newfound American interest in the Arctic and Greenland in particular uh, will manifest itself in the uh, in the months and years ahead? And also, uh, how much damage uh, does this, does this uh, misstep uh, have in, in that relationship, uh, for instance, for the Tula base and other uh, U.S. interests in uh, Greenland? Mm. I mean... Sorry, can you can you ask the sure, question basically, again? Sure, basically a two-part I, question. I, I just had a brain fart. Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> um, let me put it this way. So this uh, you mentioned this newfound strategic, uh, strategic interest uh, by the U.S. in the Arctic. It's been building up for a few months now, it seems, or maybe the yeah. past year or two. And now this is maybe kind of an, an unveiling of, of, you know, showing of some cards here. 
Um, how do you think this will continue to manifest? How, how will the United States assert its presence, its interests, its, uh, its uh, reach across the Arctic uh, beyond Alaska in the, in the remaining months or years of the Trump administration? And the second part of the question is how much damage does this, does this diplomatic misstep have on, on this Arctic agenda of the United States? To take your first question first, I think that we are, uh, in Greenland, we're going to see an enhanced American presence uh, over the coming years. And here I'm thinking specifically about that the U.S. wants to be able to deploy fighter aircrafts to Greenland. And in order to do that, they need to ensure that the airports in Greenland are compatible with their F-35 systems. That is, they, they need a landing strip that are of a a certain length, roughly 3,000 meters, and they need certain installations uh, that are uh, that are crucial for using those planes. And furthermore, I think we'll, we'll see the Americans uh, enhancing the defense of the Tula airbase against aerial attacks. So they'll probably build up some radars, maybe build up some some. Uh, some uh, surface-to-air missiles uh, to uh, to protect the base, and maybe we'll 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 also see the U.S. beginning to use Greenlandic airports for anti-submarine air, uh, warfare in in the North Atlantic, uh, and that would, for instance, involve uh, the deployment of maritime patrol aircraft to uh, Greenlandic airports. Uh, so the U.S. could use the Greenlandic airports as a supplemental to the Keflavik airport in Iceland, which is their, their, their key strategic airport in, in that area. But more, more broadly, uh, I think what we're, we're going to see is an enhanced U.S. military presence in the Arctic, more generally speaking. I mean, we've already seen uh, the big Trident Juncture exercise in Norway uh, last year, the U.S. sending Marines to, to northern Norway, uh, and, and, and more recently announcing investments in the Keflavik airbase in, in Iceland. But for, and furthermore, the U, what the U.S. is doing right now, and I think this is uh, contingent uh, to the Trump administration, is that they are also taking this fight to the various diplomatic fora, forums in the region. Uh, so we saw uh, Secretary of State Pompeo's speech in the in Finland in May, in which he criticized both China and Russia for uh, for being aggressive actors in the Arctic. Uh, and I think what we will see is that the U.S. will, mo- will move away from having been a, a very constructive partner in, for instance, the Arctic Council, to becoming a state that tries to outmaneuver and limit the influence of the other great powers, China and Russia, in in these forums. Uh, And I think that could definitely throw a wrench in in how the Arctic Council uh, has been been working, I mean, for the the last uh, two decades since 1996. But I also think think that the involvement of these diplomatic forums in the the broader U.S., uh, approach to China and Russia, I think that's very much a Trump administration thing. So if the pre- next president in in January 2021 is called Elizabeth Warren or Joe Biden or uh, Kamala Harris, I think we could very easily go have a go back to normal situation in 
in, in the Arctic Council, for instance, where the U.S. once again becomes this very constructive actor, uh, as, as, as it were, uh, under, under the previous president and actually also under this president for the first couple of years of his uh, administration. Yeah, the Pompeo speech did really feel like a watershed to me. It uh, felt uh, reminiscent of this this speech, or maybe the, the opposite of that speech by uh, by Gorbachev in 1987 in Murmansk, where he sort of said that the Arctic was a, a region of, of peace and cooperation. It seems like Pompeo's speech mm-hmm. was just a kind of the polar polar no pun intended polar opposite of the uh, of the Gorbachev speech. And then the other part of my question, uh, John, uh, perhaps very, very briefly, um, how how much does this screw things up for the United States? This this buying Greenland. Uh, uh, story. How, how does that decharm the the U.S. Uh, presence in Greenland in the wider Arctic? Does this does this make Greenlanders question the Tula base? Does it have other impacts, or really just sort of come and go? The story, and, and people will be laughing about it a year from now. Well, I mean, I think I think it'll have short to medium term repercussions. Uh, as I said before, the U.S. has been trying to to uh, to charm the. Uh, the Greenlanders through a a, a a wide palette of initiatives that were meant to show that what they could gain from having a constructive relationship to to the U.S. Uh, and that effort has has been going on for, I mean, at least a year. Uh, and I think that effort is totally wasted now because now the cat is out of the bag. Uh, it seems every, everyone everyone sees. What the what what the underlying uh, thinking has been in at least in part of the Trump administration. Uh, so now it's 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 it'll be much more difficult for the U.S. to make the case that they're they're just coming with the best of intentions. While that's true, I think as at the same time that the Greenlandic political class uh, is a, ve- a bunch of very pragmatic people, and I think they understand the underlying d- dynamics of the situation and they understand that this is still a situation where they can gain a lot from the the enhanced US interest if they play their cards right so i think they don't want to throw that away and that's why i believe that we'll we'll be seeing a continued dialogue on the civil servant level between the 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 three states and i think we can it's not impossible that we'll we'll see some big initiatives in the coming year regarding airports, regarding perhaps the Tule base. But of course, the unveiling of these initiatives will always have the, the bitter taint of, uh, of Trump's absurd uh, suggestion that he would uh, buy Greenland. Do you think he's going to continue with this this uh, attempt? Do you think there is some sort of art of the deal kind of gamemanship going on here? Or is this just uh, uh, the, the, the definite end of that uh, that whole narrative? Well, I mean... As is always the case with the Trump administration, there are two readings, right? There's one reading that goes that Trump is, is, is playing 16th dimensional chess, that he just understands the situation much, much better than we do, and what we think that he's doing in one, in, in, in one regard is actually there's a hidden strategy behind it. And then there's another reading that goes that, that the president and, and some of his advisors are perhaps not that competent, and... Uh, they're, they're, they're constantly creating new messes uh, and new, new traps that they fall in themselves. Um, I, I think I, I, I tend to fall in, in the second reading. Uh, 
that uh, I, I don't think that there's a, a deeper lying strategy behind this. I think that the the president comes to this with a very tra- transactional approach in mind. I mean, he he thinks like a businessman. He sees that there's a there's a there's a problem here, uh, and it would take a lot of effort to get the Greenlanders on, on board with the American uh, wishes. So naturally, he's just thinking, uh, "Hey, why don't we just buy it?" And uh, once once the idea is, is is planted in the administration, it kind of gets a life of its own, and then uh, it forces. Uh, it forces the administration to actually go through with it. Yeah. Whether whether they will 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 stick with it, I think depends a lot of, on the internal dynamics of the Trump administration. Uh, I think if it if this goes back to the civil servant level, and if the president's attention turns to other matters, then uh, I think we can it can it can more or less go back to normal within weeks. And uh, to some extent, I mean, I, I really hope that it goes back to normal because both Denmark, the U.S. and, uh, and Greenland needs constructive dialogue about these questions uh, and, and, a go- uh, and a bunch of negotiations about what the states actually really need. And they don't, they don't really need this talk about the U.S. buying Greenland because it's, it's not rooted in, in, in the, the actual circumstances on the ground. Yeah, it's the art of distraction in some sense uh, that, that the Trump uh, is uh, really excelling at all over the world, it seems. So, John, uh, thanks very much. It's been uh, it's been great talking to you. And it, it sounds like it's a uh, developing an ongoing story that uh, I'm sure we'll uh, want to discuss uh, in maybe some different uh, different configuration or different development in the months ahead. And uh, we'd love to talk mm-hmm. to you again about uh, matters involving uh, Greenland, Denmark, the United States and the wider Arctic. That sounds good, but, and thanks for having me. Very good, John. Uh, John Robert Clemenson, Associate Professor at the Royal Danish uh, Defense College, here on this episode, episode 15 of the Polar Geopolitics Podcast. My name uh, is Eric Paglia. I'm in Stockholm, Sweden. Tomorrow, I'm going to be talking on the phone line to uh, Paul Musgrave. I'm not sure if you're familiar with Paul Musgrave, uh, John, uh, political scientist at the University of Massachusetts at Amherst. Uh, he wrote an article in the Foreign Policy uh, Journal a couple of days ago about this, so we're going to get a bit of a U.S. perspective on the uh, the Trump and uh, Greenland uh, uh, fiasco, or however you want to frame this. Uh, so we'll get that perspective from Paul. I'll speak to him tomorrow. I'm not sure when this podcast uh, will be posted, but I'm going to try to get this one, John, up uh, as soon as possible, maybe as soon as uh, tonight, to capture the the breaking news aspect of this of this uh, very uh, bizarre uh, story of the year regarding the Arctic and, and geopolitics. So once again, John, Robert Cummins, and thanks a lot for being here on the Polar Geopolitics Podcast. <laughs> Thank you. And thanks for listening to Take all care. you listeners out there, and uh, stay tuned for more episodes of Polar Geopolitics.